Chapter Two of Why We Love Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Why We Love Lincoln by James Creelman. Chapter Two. If Daniel Boone, the mighty hunter and Indian fighter, had not roused the imagination of Virginians and Carolinians by his wonderful and romantic deeds in the exploration of the Kentucky wilderness, the grandfather of Abraham Lincoln would not have left Rockingham County, Virginia, and entered seventeen hundred acres of land in Kentucky, where he was presently slain on his forest farm by a savage in the presence of his three sons. The youngest of these sons, Thomas Lincoln, was the father of the future president of the United States. In spite of an educated, well-to-do American ancestry of pure English Quaker stock, one was a member of the Boston Tea Party, another was a Revolutionary Minuteman, served in the Continental Congress, and was Attorney General of the United States under Jefferson. This frontier boy, who was only six years old when his father was murdered before his eyes, grew up without education to be a wandering workboy who gradually picked up odd jobs of carpenting. He became a powerfully built, square-set young man, somewhat indolent and improvident, who occasionally showed his temper and courage by knocking down a frontier rowdy. The rough young carpenter in 1806 married Nancy Hanks, a niece of Joseph Hanks, in whose shop he worked at his trade. Nancy, who was the mother of Abraham Lincoln, was the daughter of a supposedly illiterate and superstitious family, but she was calmly intelligent. Knew how to read and write, and taught her husband to scrawl his name. The great Lincoln always believed that he got his intellectual powers from his mother. For a time, this pair, who were to bring forth the savior of America, dwelt in a log hut, fourteen feet square, at Elizabethtown, Kentucky, where they were married. Then a daughter was born. A year later, the carpenter bought a small farm on the Big South Fork of Norland Creek in Harding County. Here, on wretched soil overgrown with stunted brush. Thomas Lincoln and Nancy Hanks lived with their infant daughter in a rude log cabin, enduring profound poverty. It was in this mere wooden hutch, which had an earth floor, one door, and one window, that Abraham Lincoln was born on February twelfth, eighteen o nine. What American, however poor, ignorant, unlettered, or discouraged, can look upon the rude timbers of the home which sheltered the birth of the greatest man of the Western Hemisphere without a thrill of hope and a new realization of the opportunities that are co-eternal with conscience, courage, and persistence? What man of any race or country can stand before that cabin and be a coward? Moses, the waif; Peter, the fisherman; Mohammed, the shepherd; Columbus, the sailor boy. Each age has its separate message of the humanity of God and the divinity of man. The gray-eyed boy Lincoln played alone in the forest near Knob Creek, where his father had secured a better farm. It was a solitary and cheerless life for a child. Sometimes he sat among the shavings of his father's carpenter shanty, a silent, lean little boy with long black hair and grave, deep-set eyes, dressed in deerskin breeches and moccasins, without toys and almost without companions. For a few months, he attended log cabin schools with his sister Sarah, but he learned little more than his letters. It is amazing to think that this man, whose Gettysburg Address is accepted as one of the noblest classic of English literature, did not have much more than six months of schooling in his whole life. In 1816, Thomas Lincoln decided to move from Kentucky to Indiana. He built a raft, loaded it with a kit of carpenter's tools and 400 gallons of whiskey. And depending on his rifle for food, floated down into the Ohio River in search of a new home. 
Having picked out a place in the Indiana forest, he walked home, and with a borrowed wagon and two horses, he took his wife and children into the wilderness, actually cutting a way through the woods for them. Near Little Pigeon Creek, the carpenter and his wife, assisted by young Abraham, now seven years old, built a shed of logs and poles, partly open to the weather, and here the family lived for a year. Meanwhile, a patch of land was cleared, corn was planted, and as soon as a log cabin without windows could be built, the Lincolns moved into it. The forest swarmed with game, and the carpenter's rifle kept his family supplied with venison and deer hides for clothing. They relied on the rifle and the corn patch for life. Little Lincoln climbed at night to his bed of leaves in the loft by a ladder of wooden pins driven into the logs. Not only were the means of life hard to get, but it was a malarial country, and in 1818, the small group of pioneers who came to dwell at Pigeon Creek near the Lincolns were attacked by a pestilence known as the milk sickness. In October, the mother of Abraham Lincoln died. Her husband sawed a coffin out of the forest trees and buried her in a little clearing. Several months later, a wandering frontier clergyman preached a sermon over her lonely, snow-covered grave. No wonder the countenance of the great emancipator moved all who beheld it by its deep melancholy. He knew what sorrow was 45 years before he paced his office in the White House all night, with white face and bowed head, sorrowing over the bloody defeat of Chancellorsville, wondering whether he was to be the last president of the United States, and praying for the victory that came at Gettysburg. All that year, the sensitive boy grieved for the mother who had gone out of his life. But in time, his father went back to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, where he married the widow of the town jailer. And presently, a four-horse wagon creaked up to the door of the Lincoln cabin in the Indiana forest, with the bride, her son, and two daughters, and a load of comfortable household goods, including a feather bed and a walnut burrow, valued at $50. Sarah Bush Lincoln, the stepmother of Abraham Lincoln, was a woman of thrift and energy, tall, straight, fair, and a kind-hearted motherly Christian. The American people owe a debt to this noble matron who did so much to influence and develop the character of the boy who was yet to save the nation from destruction. She was good to the Lincoln orphans whose mother lay out in the wild forest grave. She gave them warm clothes. She threw away the mat of corn husks and leaves on which they slept and replaced it with a soft feather tick. She loved little Abe and the lonely boy returned her kindness and affection. In a primitive cabin, set in the midst of a savage country, she created that noblest and best result of a good woman's heart and brain, a happy home. O pale woman of the 20th century, sighing for a mission in the great world's affairs, perhaps there may be a suggestion for you in the simple story of what Sarah Bush did for Abraham Lincoln, and through him, for the ages. Did not the two malaria-wracked and care-driven mothers who lived in the rough-hewn Lincoln cabin do more to influence the political institutions of mankind than all speeches and votes of women since voting was first invented? End of chapter 2